Christ Church, please turn uh, with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 as we continue our exposition of uh, the gospel of God in the book of, of Romans. Uh, this morning, we come to uh, our second uh, uh, lesson or, or sermon on uh, the mortification of remaining sin in believers. We began thinking through this uh, two weeks ago. Uh, by the way, thank you for your prayers uh, last week. Um, I was in Lakeland, Florida, as I think was announced uh, from this pulpit last week, and so thankful for my friend Carlton Wynn's ministry. Um, and uh, Lakeland, uh, the church there is called Covenant PCA. They give their warm greetings to you, uh, Christ Church Presbyterian, and uh, it was a wonderful, busy uh, weekend of ministry, and so glad to be back here uh, with my church family. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. Please stand with me for the reading of God's holy word. <clears throat> so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for these verses. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for this emphasis upon uh, putting to death the deeds of the body or, or mortifying remaining indwelling sin. And we ask, Lord, that you would teach us and grow us in our approach to the Christian life as we are all on this uh, journey of progressive sanctification, growing to be more like Christ. We know that this is an important aspect of that, and we ask that you'd help us to understand and to carry out these things by your Spirit, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The Christian life is a battlefield. The Christian life is a battlefield, not a playground. It's a battlefield. It's a holy war. It's uh, not a quiet uh, walk in the park. This is fundamental to our understanding of the Christian life. It is discipleship 101. The Apostle Paul makes this point clear in Ephesians chapter 6. It was mentioned in Sunday school <clears throat> uh, that, that, that Christian life is a battleground. We are called as believers to take up and to put on the, the whole armor of God, to stand against the schemes of the devil. Uh, so you think about this, beloved. You don't put on armor if you're just going for a casual walk. You don't put on armor if you're going to the store uh, or if you're going to a birthday party. You put on armor before heading into what? Battle. Into battle. And every day for the Christian, if we understand our Bibles correctly, is a battle. And sometimes we can forget this when we live in such a lovely place and where uh, we're on the coast and the sun is shining most days here in uh, the low country. And uh, people uh, are typically uh, well-to-do and uh, well-heeled and such. And so we can forget about the fact that the Christian life is a battlefield uh, because we live in an area like we do, an affluent area. And it's important to be reminded of these things today, all of us, that the Christian life is indeed a battle. And in this battle, we are fighting against the cosmic powers of this present 
darkness, against the, the spiritual forces of this present evil age. What does that mean? Well, it's Satan and all of his powerful demons and minions and all of his power extending throughout the world. That's what we are fighting against. These powers and forces are relentlessly and tirelessly seeking to destroy the church and to dismantle our faith and our witness. But here in our passage that we are returning to uh, this morning in Romans 8, uh, 12, and 13, we are confronted with something that is fundamental to this battle. We are taught that the enemy we are fighting is not just the satanic forces and powers attacking us from the outside, but our own remaining sin rising up from the inside. The battle is not only against that which seduces us from the outside and calls to us from the outside and tempts us from the outside, but also that which is seducing us and tempting us on the inside, rising up. From the inside, one of the greatest opponents to our faith and spiritual growth is the enemy within. The enemy within, that is, the remaining indwelling sin that dwells in our hearts and our minds. This is the point, of course, that the celebrated 17th century English Puritan John Owen, whose picture hangs on my wall whose eyes follow me around the office when I'm in there, like the Mona Lisa. He's always watching over me. This is what he preached at the University Church in Oxford in the 1650s. This set of sermons was published in 1656 and called Of the Mortification of Sin in Believers. It has been the classic work on gospel mortification uh, since uh, ever since. The entire treatise is an exposition of, you guessed it, Romans 8.13. If you really want to know what Romans 8.13 is teaching in depth, read Owen's work, which is pretty long, on this very verse. Owen preached these sermons to his university students because he was deeply concerned that his students... And many Christians do not think about mortification of sin as a foundational aspect of sanctification and growth in Christ. Owen writes this, quote, It is to be feared that very many have little knowledge of what he calls the main enemy that they carry about with them in their bosoms. The main enemy that they carry about with them in their bosoms. I believe the same is true today. As most believers, I would say, uh, view the biggest threat to their faith as coming from the temptations and seductions of the world and the devil and not the deceitfully and potentially the deceitful and potentially destructive enemy that lurks within. That lurks within. So many of our problems stem, dear ones, from a lack of seriousness regarding the mortification of remaining indwelling sin. We take it too lightly. And thus we allow it to grow, to fester. 
rather than actively and daily fighting against it, seeking to mortify it and kill it, we allow it to gain strength and vitality. We are asleep at our post. That's one thing you never do when you're in battle and you're guarding a particular area and you're said, you need to stay here and guard this and let us know by this or that signal that the enemy is coming. It is It would be awful, right, to fall asleep. But as it concerns this enemy within, a lot of Christians have fallen asleep. And the enemy is just making headway and growing in strength and numbers in the heart. We don't want sin to take up residence, safe residence in our hearts. We know sin will always be in our hearts but we want it to be on the run and on life support and being beaten down and strangled. Yeah, we can talk about this kind of stuff. We can be violent when it comes to sin. We want to beat it down, be violent. We want it to kill it. We want to crucify it. Um, There was a a, a Saturday Night Live. It's terrible. I'm talking about Saturday Night Live. Um, Many years ago, maybe 30 years ago, I, I was watching this episode and this uh, they're all sitting there having a picnic, and this bird flies in, this big bird, and, uh, and it's like crying, and it looks like it's about to die. And one of them says, just put it out of its misery. Put it out of its misery. And so one of them gets this baseball bat and starts hitting it. And the bird just keeps making these loud sounds, and it's making louder and louder sounds. And they're all yelling, just kill it. Will you just kill it already? And then another guy comes out and gets this other tool and is hitting it, and they're all hitting it, and it's screaming. And it's just really funny. It really is. The point is, the bird is not dying. It's not dying, but they are pounding it over and over and over again and freaking out because they're not killing it and it's still suffering. But that's kind of how sin is. Sin is always going to be in our hearts, and I'll mention this a little bit later, until we die and go to heaven. It's going to be there. But we want to keep beating it to a pulp, keeping it down, uh, taking the life out of it, strangling it, mortifying it. That's what Paul is saying here when he says, put to death the deeds of the body. Sins of pride, lust, worldliness, covetousness, resentment, idolatry, anger, and countless other sins are always attempting to, to establish deep roots in our hearts, in the garden of our lives, thus trying to overshadow and choke out the, the flowers and the fruit of God's graces in us and through us. But God commands us in Romans eight thirteen to by the Spirit... Put to death the deeds of the body or to mortify the sins of the flesh. And that's what we are considering once again uh, this morning. Uh, We've been in Romans 8 for several weeks now. And from this mountain peak of the gospel, we've gotten a wonderful view of the Christ-centered benefits of justification and sanctification. Paul has taught us that Uh, Those who are born again and thus united to Christ by faith are no longer enslaved to sin uh, or uh, to the devil. 
Uh, likewise, uh, Christians are no longer under the impossible demands of God's law as a way of salvation. If you are in Christ, no longer do you have to obey the law perfectly in order to be saved, which, by the way, is impossible. All of those outside of Christ who are looking to the law to save them, that is the demand. Perfection. But it's impossible. It's impossible. It's a way that only leads to death and judgment because we can never measure up to the standard of God's perfect righteousness. Why? Because Christ set us free from those impossible demands by giving us his very righteousness and paying the full debt of our sin on the cursed cross. This, beloved, is the good news of Romans that we've been seeing over and over again, that through faith in Jesus... You are no longer under the law as a means of salvation. You are no longer under the dominion of sin and in the clutches of the devil. You are no longer condemned by God. Rather, you have been set free, as it states in verse 3 of Romans chapter 8, from sin and death. Look there at verse 3. You've been set free from sin and death in Christ through faith. You now have a right standing With God, you've been reconciled to him. It used to be a hostile relationship because of your sin and God's holiness. But Christ, the mediator, came and reconciled you to God through faith. And so through faith in Christ, you now have peace with God. You are no longer under his righteous judgment. You are under his grace. Look with me again at verses 1 and 2 of Romans 8. There is therefore now no, what? Condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are no longer condemned. I am no longer condemned. For the law of the Spirit or the principle of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law or principle of sin and death. We've been set free from that principle. We've been set free from that dominion. We've been set free from that law. No longer are we under the dominion of sin and hell and death. We are under the dominion of grace and Christ and the Spirit. That's what Paul's been saying over and over. The Christian life is so much more than, oh yeah, I I prayed a prayer 24 years ago. I hope it was sincere at the time. I wonder if I'm saved That is an extremely superficial view of the Christian life. This is the gospel that Christ has come to set us free from the bondage of sin and hell and death and Satan. And he's done so by sending, God is, the Father has done so by sending Christ and sending his spirit to unite us to him. The apostle goes on to explain in verse 3 that God did what the law, weakened by our own sinful flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of flesh to condemn our sin in Christ's flesh on Calvary. Why? Well, it says there, so that God's righteous requirements would be fulfilled in us. We are not right with God because of our own failed attempts to obey God's law, but because of our faith in the one who perfectly fulfilled God's law in our place our perfect representative, and then laying his life down as a righteous substitute for our sin to pay our debt in full. Romans 5.1, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How many times do you need to hear that gospel? (laughs) 
one Lord's Day out of every six, maybe? Once in a while? No, we need to hear it daily. We certainly need to hear it through word and sacrament every Lord's Day. But here's the thing. This isn't the end of the good news. The gospel doesn't stop at justification. It doesn't stop at justification. In union with Christ, we not only possess a right standing with God and are justified, but we are in a transformative relationship with God. In Christ, we are justified and we are being sanctified. Having been set free from the dominion of sin and death and indwelt by the Spirit, we are being conformed to the image of Christ, over time being made more and more holy, more and more like Him. And this process of sanctification, which occurs over a lifetime, not only consists in vivification, say that ten times fast, in vivification or becoming more like Christ, the one who is the resurrected one, that we are in Him made alive, but there's that vivification of sanctification where we're becoming more like Jesus, but there's also mortification which is dying to sin, putting sin to death. Both of those things must be held up when we understand our growth as Christian believers. We are to kill remaining sin. Sin no longer reigns in us, but it remains in us, this side of heaven. And we are called to go to war against it. The enemy within If you miss everything else in this sermon, do not miss this. You are called, I am called, to go to war against that remaining sin in our lives daily. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 7.1, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. And so what are some foundational principles of this mortification? I want to share with you a couple of them this morning. The first one is this. The first one is this, if you're taking notes. Rely on the Holy Spirit for the work of mortification. Rely on the Holy Spirit for the work of mortification. You know, there have been movements, particularly within the medieval Roman Catholic Church. We know Luther himself engaged in it. And that is the kind of asceticism of beating oneself to a pulp, right? to bring the body into subjection. There are all forms of mortification of trying to beat down sin that mankind has come up with apart from the work of the Spirit, thinking it's all up to us to take care of that remaining sin. Thank God that's not the case. The Holy Spirit is committed to our sanctification. He will complete it. He will enable us to be engaged in it. Look again at verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if or since by the Spirit, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Notice those three words, by the Spirit. This work of mortification, dear ones, is by the Spirit. They are absolutely critical for understanding the mortification of sin. We do not do this work alone. God doesn't leave this up to us, praise God. We must rely upon and yield unto the Holy Spirit even as He enables us to kill and to go after remaining sin. I made this point last time. 
And it's important to reflect again the fact that this work of mortification is a joint work. It's a joint work. God gives us His Spirit to enable us to carry out the work of sanctification and specifically, as we're considering this morning, mortification. This is not a let go and let God uh, scenario. We don't say, God, you take care of it. I'm just going to focus on my justification. That's not how sanctification works. It is our action enabled and empowered by the Spirit. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, again, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, is he speaking about justification here? He can't be because we are saved by Christ's work alone. We don't work out our salvation as it concerns our justification before God, our right standing with him. But we do work out our salvation as it concerns our sanctification, our growth in him, our dying to sin and living uh, to Christ. So as we, we work out what God is working in. So dear believer, please hear this. Christ has made you right with God through faith. You have a right standing with him. You will never be separated from him. Nothing can separate you from him. If all the armies of hell rose up and sought to come just after you alone, they could not touch you. They could not rip you away from Christ, whom you are united to, Forever and ever, you are in Christ. Nothing can separate you. And in your relationship with him, you are called to labor in your sanctification, knowing that God is laboring in you to bring it to completion. What he has started, he will complete. What God has started in you, he will finish. But dear Christian, you and I are called to participate. We're called to participate in this work. We're called to participate. Owen comments this uh, on it this way, quote, God works upon our understanding, wills, consciences, and affections. He works in us and with us, not against us or without us. Let me say that again. He works in us and with us, not against us or without us. Now, let me back up for just a moment. Remember that born into this world, we are born depraved. Our minds, our hearts, our wills, our affections are all poisoned by sin. Every room of our house, as it were, is, is infected and poisoned by sin. And then, by God's grace, the gospel is preached to us, and by His Spirit, we are raised up to new life by being brought into union with Christ. And once we are brought into union with Christ, all that is His is ours. We are made right with God and a process begins called sanctification. And the mind that was depraved and the heart and the will and the affections and all of it was poisoned by sin, a process begins on the mind, on the heart, on the will, on the affections by the Spirit to sanctify us and to make us more like Christ. And so every room, as it were, of our uh, the house of our lives is, is, is the Spirit is working in us. He's changing us. But there are enemies in the house. There are enemies in the house. And they are our sin, the remaining sin. It's, that, that sin is no longer on the throne of our lives, but 
Christ is, but the sin is still there, this side of heaven. And we are called to mortify it, to put it to death, to go after it. We are not alone, thankfully, in this battle. Whatever particular sin that you may be struggling with, that may be warring against the Holy Spirit in your life, know that you are not alone in the fight. It is by the Spirit that you mortify the deeds of the flesh. The United States had allies in the two world wars in the 20th century, which helped us to overcome our mortal enemies. Dear Christian, we have God as our ally. The Father is our ally. Christ is our ally. The Spirit within us is our ally. And he guarantees the victory. The second point I would like to make this morning is that we ought to take time to study the enemy within for mortification. It's important to study the enemy within for mortification. Again, Paul writes that we are to put to death the deeds of the body or the sins of the flesh. But how are we going to effectively do that if we don't think about the ways that our own sins work? How are we to do that unless we think about the tactics of indwelling sin? The enemy within will have a a history the way it's deceived and confused and won battles in our lives. Therefore, as an army general will uh, study the previous movements and tactics of his enemy or perhaps study previous wars, so we should study the previous movements and tactics of our remaining sin. What led you to this place? What brought you to this thing? How are these patterns developed in your life? Without this approach, indwelling sin might continue to gain strength and vitality and quench the Holy Spirit's work in your life. If anger is your besetting sin, a sin that seems to regularly rear its ugly head in your life, take time to consider how it gains strength. What feeds it? What's happening in your life or not happening in your life that it is being uh, brought up so often uh, in your life? Uh, What about uh, those who have uh, sins and motions of other besetting sins? How do we deal with these things? Uh, It's important to study them, uh, not just to overlook them. We want to study them so we can choke them and, 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 and take the life out of them. Maybe it's covetousness and idolatry that has established a firm place in your heart, what allows those sins to fester, to, to gain breath, rather than be on life support as they should be? I sometimes think about all the, the magazines we get in the mail, you know, telling us we need to get that new sweater or that new pair of shoes or that new car or whatever it is. And uh, maybe it's as simple as throwing those things away right when you get them, rather than thumbing through them and saying, you know, I wish I had that. I'm not satisfied with what I have. And it's one little example of ways that we can, can kill these sins. Uh, maybe it's gossip or slander. What's the root uh, of your desire to speak about others in ungodly ways? Uh, uh, whatever it may be, uh, we must study the enemy within and think about what gives indwelling sin strength and vitality and seek to respond accordingly. So I'll ask you, as I've asked myself, What are your besetting sins? What are those sins that seem to have taken up some residence? And what other 
tactics and typical movements and motions in your life? Are you, are you actively seeking to put them to death, to kill them, to go after them, to go to war against them, uh, to take away that which we know is going to give them life? Owen says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And that is the truth. James 1, 14 and 15 says this, that when a person is, temp- that a person is tempted, when he is, quote, lured and enticed by his own desire, that's indwelling sin. Lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so, dear ones, when we consider that to study the tactics of indwelling sin so that we can take the life out of it uh, at the desire level and so that it doesn't conceive and grow into a mighty enemy within. 1 Peter 2 and verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. You hear that language? It's battle language. It's wartime language. Whatever it may be, it is waging war against your soul. And we want to defeat that enemy. So the Holy Spirit empowers the mortification of sin. Praise the Lord. We must study the enemy of indwelling sin. We are encouraged to do by Owen and so many others. Finally, I want to mention that we are to seek to kill the enemy for mortification, though the enemy, as I mentioned earlier, will never be completely wiped out in this present age. There are those who in the past have taught perfectionism. Uh, There are forms of Wesleyanism that teach that when you're a Christian and you, you can come to a certain place where you're only making mistakes and you're no longer sinning. Well, that's just hogwash. That's just not true at all. Because we are called to love God with all of our what? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love our neighbor as ourselves, right? That's the standard. Is that a high standard? It's very high. Have any of us in this room ever for half a second obeyed those perfectly? Of course we haven't. We are all sinners saved by grace and fighting against and struggling against sin and growing in the Lord. But the aim, the objective, the goal is to kill the enemy. Put to death the deeds of the body and you will live, Paul says. That's the aim. That's the objective. You always need an objective and an aim when you're going into the battle. I mean, could you imagine a bunch of soldiers with all their weaponry and they look at each other and say, what are we supposed to be doing? They say, I have no idea. Let's go. Well, of course not. They know what to do. They've studied it. They're, they're going into battle with an objective. And so we need, need this. In the spiritual war against indwelling sin, we do not take prisoners. We have an objective to kill the enemy. And we give no mercy to our indwelling sin. We give it no place. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we are called to make war against this sin. We do not let it breathe. We strangle it. We do not let it grow. We crush it. We don't let it spread. We pull it up. We do not let it live. We crucify it. That's mortification. That's mortification. Now, some might wonder how, what are some some very practical ways that we can see this sin mortified in our lives? Well, one is through the means of grace. 
is through the preaching of God's word, the teaching of God's word, the, the sacraments, the baptism and the Lord's Supper. It is through these, as we receive and rest in Christ alone for our salvation, that we are sanctified, that we are growing to hate sin more and to love God more, that we are uh, coming, that we are uh, seeing these sins rising up to the surface of our hearts and going after them. It is through the preaching of Christ and seeing His beauty and His glory and His salvation that we recognize even clearer the sin in our lives and go after it. The enemy becomes more obvious when the light of the gospel is shown into our hearts. And so the enemies are exposed even more, and we go after them, and we repent, and we confess, and we seek to kill them. We pray. We spend time in prayer with and for one another. We fellowship with each other. We read our Bibles. We, we repent. Uh, this, these are means of, of mortification. It's never apart from Christ. It's never apart from the Spirit. And it's not apart from the church because God has given us these very means to sanctify us, to make us more like Christ, to point us back to our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I mentioned it earlier, to put on the armor daily, to put on the armor of God. This is a daily routine. It's a pattern. It's something that we discipline ourselves to do because every day is a day of battle as we go to work, as we begin our day in our homes, as we uh, go to school, as we take part in all these things, we, we put on the armor of God. But here's the thing. Again, though our aim is to kill our enemy within, through our ob- our, though our objective is to take the life out of indwelling sin, it will not be completed until the parousia, until the return of Christ. Only when Christ returns will sin and temptation be no more. So many religions, so many brands, so many stars uh, will tell you that if you just latch on to their thing or their religion, that they will give you utopia, that they will make life good for you, and that you won't have to deal with the challenges and difficulties and, and uh, stingers of this life. But that is not true. It's only at the return of Christ that these things will be absent. Only when Christ returns will sin and temptation be no more. Only when Christ returns will the process of sanctification be complete. Only at Christ's return will we see Him and be like Him in our glorified bodies, free from the struggle, free from the suffering, free from the temptation, free from the tears, free from those sleepless nights, worrying and anxious about circumstances going on in your life. For now, we say with Paul from Romans chapter 7, verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of what? Of death. Who will deliver me from it? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So dear one, wherever you are in this process of sanctification, in this process where there is vivification, you being made more like Christ and, and being made more righteous all the time, but, but far from where you need to be. And this process of mortification, the killing of sin in your life, the dying to sin in your life, uh, that as these things are happening in Christ by the Spirit, you are recognizing that it's never going to be where you want it. 
you're never going to be along the path as much as you want to be. And you don't need to be discouraged. You have been set free to grow in Christ. And God loves you and he has had mercy on you and he's patient with you and he wants to continue to see you grow and to not be discouraged. Come and drink deeply of the grace of God through the preaching of the word, through the sacraments, through prayer, through the time together here at church and in your families, in your homes and rest in that grace. But recognize that growing in Christ is not a passive thing. It is actively going after your sin. We praise God in 1 Thessalonians 5 that, he's, that uh, Paul writes, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. Now here, these are good, good words here. He will surely do it. He will ultimately, he will surely do it do it. That's the guarantee. That's the seal of the Spirit in our lives. We know He is at work in us. We know He's doing this work. There are times you may feel backslidden and struggling. Maybe you're feeling that right now. Maybe you're feeling that right now. Maybe this is a whole new concept to you, this mortification thing. But just know this, that as you receive this teaching, as you see what Paul is saying here, as you're, you want to grow in Christ, just know that God is a merciful God. He loves you. He wants you to grow in His Son. Also know this, that if you don't know Jesus, that this is not happening in your life. You are remaining in your sin and under the condemnation of God. It's only in Christ that you receive forgiveness and grace upon grace and that this work of sanctification and mortification is happening. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for the good news that there is salvation by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that while our sins are forgiven and we are declared righteous in your sight, uh, that you are pleased, Lord, to sanctify us and to make us more like your son. You don't leave us, Lord. You work in us and through us. And one day we'll bring that work to completion uh, at the return of your son. Lord, help us, uh, Lord, to by your spirit, carry out this work for your glory and to rest in your grace as we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.